Let me read Revelation chapter 3 for us. Hopefully you're there. And I'm going to be starting in verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember them what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would give us an ear to hear this morning, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would challenge us, that you would grow us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for these words to these churches that challenge and encourage us, that tell us to press on and help us to be faithful. And Lord, I I thank you and praise you for this church body, this community, these people whose hearts have been knit together with mine in love for you. And I pray that you would just bless us together, even as we seek to bless your name. And so be honored through this time and move and work. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us and come in power, we pray. Amen. Well, I may have mentioned this before, forgive me if I have, but 2017 is the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation the start of the Protestant Reformation. We're actually going to do a little bit of a series on it later this year, uh, closer to the actual date that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door. And I would say it's probably safe to say that we wouldn't be here worshiping together this morning as a church if it weren't for the Protestant Reformation. Evangelical Christianity as we know it has its origins in this movement in history, the Reformation. And at the core of the Reformation, we find a very key phrase, sola fide, sola fide. Sola fide is the assertion that it is by faith alone that we are saved. And I would say this is the essence of the historical Christian faith. To this day, the official doctrine of the Catholic Church, I understand there's some variation here, but the official doctrine of the Catholic Church is that people are saved by a combination of faith and their merits, their good works, a blend of these two things that come together. The current Catholic position was actually born out of this initial heat that came from the Reformation, where the Catholic Church was literally selling salvation, merits to people, and leading them to believe that a person could essentially buy salvation. That was the sale of indulgences. And for guys like Martin Luther, it was essential that the church turn back to the truth of God's word, like it declares in Ephesians chapter 2. Just listen, you're probably familiar with this, verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
And this reformation of the core doctrine of salvation by faith alone was absolutely necessary for the church to get back on course to what Scripture teaches us. The Christian faith puts no confidence in the flesh. Do you understand? But rather, we keep all of our hope upon the saving grace of God in the sacrifice of Christ, which is given freely to undeserving sinners like me and like you. And that's the heart of the good news that we proclaim, the gospel. That's what Christianity is really all about. But 500 years after the Reformation, this defining moment for the church, I believe it's fair to say that this idea sola fide, by faith alone, has had some rather unfortunate, unintended consequences. We are now on the fifth of the seven churches of Revelation, the series that we're going through, looking at these churches that Christ addresses at the beginning of this book. And what I find fascinating is that in every exhortation to the churches, Jesus, where he uses an opening phrase in five of the seven of them. He never starts with speaking about faith. Have you noticed this? Instead, in five of the seven churches, he opens with his word to the churches by saying, I know your works. I know your works. Now, I think without thinking this through very carefully, we might be tempted to come to to the conclusion that Martin Luther was crazy. That dude was wrong. They were wrong 500 years ago. These reformers had no idea what they were talking about. And in these letters, at least, Jesus talks far more about works than he does even about faith. In fact, get this. The word works are mentioned 12 times in these letters to the churches, whereas the word faith is only used three times. To the church we're looking at today, the church in Sardis, he says this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now understand, I do firmly believe that the reformers were right 500 years ago. We are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, not at all by the merit of our works. And thank God for that, because mine are piddly. I don't know about yours. But this is the fundamental message of Scripture. If we go back to the Old Testament, we find an amazing moment where God addresses the prophet Samuel as he's going to raise up the next king of Israel. And he says that man looks on the outward appearance to make judgments about people. But God looks at the heart to form his conclusions. To God, it is the heart that matters the most. God is looking for a state of faith and repentance in the hearts of his people. And this is why Jesus had so many scathing and critical things to say to the Pharisees. By all uh, outward appearances, the externals, and merely looking at the works of the Pharisees, a person was likely to conclude that these religious leaders, these very religious people, were righteous and holy, law-abiding to the T, when it came to the Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures, the law that God had given His people. They were obedient to the commands of God. But Jesus, being God, could see that the Pharisees, they only had a reputation. They only had a reputation of being alive, but in truth, in reality, in their hearts, they were dead. Because in their hearts, they didn't in fact love God. 
So then we have to ask, what is the relationship between faith on one side and works on the other side? Jesus condemns the Pharisees because they didn't love him. They didn't place their faith in God. And here in Revelation 3, kind of on the other side, with the church in Sardis, he condemns them because they don't have any works. And so what is the relationship here? What is it? Is it faith or is it works? Maybe were the Catholics right all those years ago and it's faith and works that merit our salvation? Well, I'd love for you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, where I think we find an answer here. If you have your Bibles, just flip over there. And if you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 8, We find this written, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, do you see it clearly, right? We're saved by God's grace through our faith, not at all by works. I think it's fair to say that is what Paul is teaching by the Spirit of God here. It's a gift from God, so that God gets all of the glory for being the gracious God who saves sinners. But don't stop there, please. Please don't stop there. We have to look at the context. Keep reading. Look at verse 10. Yes. Oh, yeah. Did I say three? No wonder there was some ruffling. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. See, that's the kind of church that we are. If I mess up, just just let me know. Not sure how that happened. Forgive me. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You're like, what version is he using? (laughs) Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me read the whole thing again, since some of you are probably confused there. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, I would say the simplest way to sort of say this or to summarize it is that for those of us who are saved by grace through faith, Christ is at work in us. We are his workmanship. And because Christ Jesus is working in his people to save them by his grace and raise them from the dead on account of their faith, Jesus then is producing good works in us. Jesus is working out good works in us. And so we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, absolutely. But that salvation produces in us a changed life full of good works that prove that God is at work in us. Okay, now the reason why this is so important, the reason why I'm hitting on this so hard, is because in my assessment at least, the American church today is not all that different than the church of Sardis 2,000 years ago, is it? We have the reputation of being alive, but in many ways we are closer to death than life, aren't we? Believing in salvation by faith alone, the cornerstone of the Reformation It has produced, I think, a false gospel in the minds of many people, causing them to believe 
that they can have saving faith without any works to prove that their faith is real, without any transformation, without any sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And that's simply not possible. Our good works don't save us. That is true. Be, be relieved at that truth. But because we are his workmanship created for good works, our faith must produce in us the works of love that cause us to feel affection for the people of God being eager to serve them, that cause us to feel a heart that is burdened for the lost, a hunger for community that helps us reach greater heights of holiness and godliness, a love for our true family, the body of Christ, the family of Christ that manifests itself in joyful service and personal sacrifice for one another. But this false gospel of saving faith without good works, what we see is it actually produces these really strange behaviors in people. I'm going to try and... um, maybe characterize a couple of these. Forgive me if I mischaracterize them, but you'll, you'll probably think of some similar kinds of examples. People who call themselves Christians who do things like listen to Caleb and thinks that, think that means that they're saved, and yet they don't go to church and they don't share their faith with the lost. They have a Christian bumper sticker or a church bumper sticker and they think that makes them God's beloved, but they don't actually participate in the fellowship of the bride. They go to church twice a month, they feel like that's enough, they've kind of checked that box off, and yet they fail to understand that the church is not a thing that you do, a place that you go to as a spectator. Rather, it is a family of loving relationships that you belong to in covenant before these people and before God. Or maybe they own a Bible. I mean, statistically, it's amazing how many people do own a Bible, but they don't read it. Because they don't believe that in it are actually found the words of life, the words of God himself graciously delivered to us by the Spirit of God so that we might see him and know him and have relationship with him. They wear the name of Jesus, but in fact, it's only a costume on the outside. It's not something that produces a radical change or transformation of life from the heart, from the inside out manifesting itself in the things that we call the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, the works of God at work in the hearts of his people. And Christianity today, I think, is full of people who believe that they are saved by faith. But the truth is, their lack of good works shows that they have no faith. Because I think you really cannot have works or you really cannot have faith without works. True faith in Jesus causes you to desire to live a life that will honor him. You long to do good works for his sake. And good works for the true Christian, they are never an effort to earn the favor of God. They are only born out of a desire to see the one that we love so passionately pleased by the way that we live our lives. It's done out of love for God, not fear or obligation. I would say in a sense you can't even help it because as Ephesians tells us, we are Christ's workmanship created in him to do good works that spring forth from our faith in him. James chapter 2 deals so well with with this idea. Turn with me there, please. It's going to be to your right, closer to Revelation. You know what I find is so funny And maybe I've said this before, but Martin Luther would have loved to tear James out of the Bible. 
because he couldn't figure out how these things came together, but I think it, it makes perfect sense to me. Let me read James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I think I got it right this time. James 2, 14, right? Does it start with what good is it? Okay, all right, cool. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The implication, the implied answer that James wants you to come to is no, actually. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Don't misunderstand. All that James is saying here is that the proof of what we profess, the proof of our faith is found in our works. And so the person who claims to have faith in Christ but has no fruit, no works to prove it, I dare say is not in fact a Christian. And I realize that's bold. I realize maybe that's even judgmental. But what proof do we have? What reason do we have to believe their profession of faith if there's no works manifesting themselves? Let me try and illustrate it this way. Many years ago, I was on a missions trip in Pakistan, and at one point, uh, we were hiking, we were, we were distributing Bibles in these very rural areas, and we had to cross the Indus River, a tributary of the Indus River in the Himalaya Mountains. And here's this giant river flowing rapidly, I mean, it was at least as wide as this room. And it's ice cold, and it's filled with these big glacial boulders, and it is a terrifying river. And at this point, the only way to cross was over a rope bridge with like two handles and like one rope in the middle. And it must have spanned at least 100 yards. It was gently swagging or swaying in the breeze. And I could stand there and I could tell you that I believed that this bridge would hold me, even though it looked pretty shady to me. But the only way that my faith in the ability of the bridge to hold me... to could be proven true and legitimate is if I actually stepped out on the bridge and walked across it. If I stand on the shore looking at the bridge, I can profess to believe it'll hold me till I'm blue in the face, but only the action, the actual work of crossing the bridge proves that I have faith that it will hold me. And so the Christian can claim to love God all day long, but only good works done in the name of Jesus and built on obedience to the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit actually prove that there is any faith there. And anything less than that is really just a false profession of faith. 
Now, in case anybody wants to disagree with me on this, I want to point out that all that James is doing here is he's just reiterating the words of Jesus. Just listen to this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Remember, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, I cannot tell you the number of times in in just a a closed-door pastoral counseling type of situation where after listening and being patient and being very gracious, I finally have to come to the point with someone where I say to them, Listen, here's exactly what God wants you to do based on his word. And if you love Jesus, then you will do it. And if you don't seek to do it, then you don't love Jesus, and you're not, in fact, a Christian. Now, again, of course, in our culture, that sounds really harsh. Like, wow, Grady, how dare you say something so mean? But the truth is, it is actually that simple. It's really that simple. Even if we don't always succeed, which we don't, There's got to at least be an effort towards Christ-likeness. We are people who are defined by the fact that we strive and we wrestle and we struggle. We exert ourselves to do the works of God because God has shaped our hearts to reflect his own. Jesus says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but in fact, you are dead. And so wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Okay, of course, the Christian is saved by faith and by grace alone. Our salvation is a gracious act of God who treasures and loves us enough to rescue us from the effects of sin at great personal cost to himself. But there is no such thing as saving faith that does not result in God-honoring works, because we are God's workmanship, and Christ is working in us to live godly lives that bring honor and glory to his name. This is why Jesus analyzes the works of these different churches, and he expects to find them at the church of Sardis. That's what he expects. But I need to point out here to you the beauty and the uniqueness of Christianity, because this is not just one possible option of many. The uniqueness of Christianity is that God raises the dead. Our hope is set squarely on the truth that God, by his grace, forgives sinners, and God, in his power, raises the dead to life. In verse 1, Jesus looks at the works of the church in Sardis, and he sees in the quality of their works that, in fact, this church is closer to death than life. They have no faith. At least their faith is not producing any kind of passionate, godly living that makes them distinct and clearly set apart as God's beloved, chosen, redeemed people. And yet, see this, please, there's always hope. There is still hope. Even after the full and final death or end, which is death, there is hope. 
Because Jesus raises the dead. Do you understand? This is the good news that we believe. It's not our good works that saves us from death. It is Jesus who saves us from death. Christ came to save sinners, and death is not the end. The book of life, as we find here, contains the names of those who believe, those who are faithful to the end, who were co-conquerors with Christ, those whose works came from an enduring faith and a passionate love for Christ Jesus. Now, I need to caution you here because I think that we could misunderstand the warning that Jesus gives in verse 2. Look there for me. Oh, did I tell you to turn back to Revelation? I'm a mess this morning. Go back to Revelation, please, chapter 3. I don't want us to misunderstand this warning here in verse 2 where Jesus says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Wake up and strengthen what remains. That part's easy enough to understand, right? Renew your resolve. Get back in the game. Live your life as if you are, in fact, a redeemed child of God, doing works of righteousness that honor him. Don't grow weary. Don't give up in your pursuit of holiness. Strengthen what remains. I think the part that we may misunderstand is when Jesus says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Okay, especially after I just spent probably 20 minutes telling you how important works are as a Christian, that could be confusing. One of the earliest heresies in Christianity was a thing called Pelagianism. Pelagius was a man who thought that because Scripture talks about the Christian being perfect, then it must be possible for the Christian to become perfect in this life. Because Jesus expects his people to complete their works, they must be able to complete their works. Because Jesus says in other places, Be holy, therefore, as I am holy, or be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, then it must actually be possible for us to become perfect in this life. That is false. It is wrong. It is untrue. And I think any honest person will come to that conclusion in 10 minutes. Jesus does indeed say here that we need to complete our works. He does say that we need to be holy and we need to be perfect. Understand, please, that part is not debatable. That is what the Christian is supposed to be. The question is how. What, in fact, does that mean? What must we do to show our love for God? How do we do it? Well, actually, the answer seems too simple, right? Too good to be true. Man, we have hit on this theme again and again and again over the last couple of weeks. What is the Christian really supposed to do? Live in the completeness of the work of Christ on the cross. Christ completes the work. Christ has completed the work. In his death, his atoning sacrifice for sin, Christ has made us who believe holy and perfect in the eyes of God our Father. And that's good news. Do you understand? It's not that you are responsible for your good works to be perfect in God's eyes. Who could live under that burden? No one. But Christ in his perfection has secured and completed in you all of the good works for you on your behalf. As he died on the cross with his arms open wide, what did he say? He said, 
It is finished. You could say it another way. It is completed. And all of us who've placed our faith in him, therefore, are completed in him. Or we could turn to Philippians chapter 1 and we see this promise. Maybe you know this verse as well. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He is going to do that. And what is the responsibility of the Christian then? Is it to do good works? Well, honestly, no, not really. It's to live in the completed work of Christ who does these good works in and through us. And of course, the natural result of his completed work, the changing of our hearts from death to life, will inevitably produce in us the works that honor Christ. I'm close to the end, but just give me a couple more minutes, okay? The, the shady atmosphere and the cozy seats make it difficult, right? I have to ask you guys here. I mean, honestly, do some self-evaluation. If somebody could follow you around for a week and observe your life, and I'm speaking to those of you in the room this morning who are Christians, who call yourself by that title. If someone could follow you around for a week and observe your life, every moment of it, would they actually have any idea that you are in Christ? Would they see the completed work of Jesus manifesting itself in your life? If you never used the word Christian, would they know you're a Christian? Or would they simply think that you're a pretty good person in general? And I want to be real clear here. I also kind of want to try and be gentle because I don't want to confuse anybody, but I also don't want to hurt anybody. I just think I need to ask, do you have the reputation of being alive and yet in fact you are dead? Is that you? Do you wear only the name of Christ without actually wearing the robes of righteousness which Christ has purchased for you through his death and resurrection? Let me say it very plainly. Are you actually a Christian? Are you really saved by faith in Christ who is at work in you to produce good works through you? Is your life defined by the completed work of Jesus? And understand, I I ask out of love for you. I ask because I know for a fact, maybe it's not necessarily the case here at Maricopa Springs, but I know for a fact that many people who call themselves Christians don't have any clue what it really means to be saved by grace through faith in Christ so that he can complete good works in you. Jesus died to save you from your sins, even the sin of self-righteousness, even the sin of self-righteousness, so that you could live in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Now, I have to say why this matters so much to me, okay? Verses 5 and 6 in Revelation chapter 3. It says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. On Thursday night at 1045, I got a call that our friend Tom Gould had passed away. And I was heartbroken at the news. And so I went over to his house and I spent some time with his wife, Stephanie. And as she wept and I sat there in sadness, mourning with her, 
I couldn't help but think about this passage of Scripture, which I had been studying and ruminating on. It says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And I kept thinking about this passage, and I kept thinking about Tom, and I believe Tom lived this out. He was not a Christian in name only. He conquered in Christ. Christ brought the good works of Tom's life and his faith in Christ to completion. What a beautiful truth that is. Over these last few weeks, as I spent time with Tom, he had essentially zero concern for himself. There was no fear of death. There was no anxiety about the future. What he cared about was that people, you and I and others, would see in his life, in him, a testimony to the greatness of Jesus, who saves and redeems and completes. And as I sat there next to Stephanie on Thursday night, I had this picture of Tom, just like this, clothed in white, in glory, standing before the throne of God Almighty, experiencing the greatest moment that his soul will ever know. Even as we wept at our loss in sadness, he was hearing his Savior Jesus proclaim to him the name of Tom Gould before the Father God Almighty. What an amazing moment that must have been. And Tom took his good works to completion. He conquered in Christ Not because he did good works, although he did, but because he trusted in the completed work of Christ. And so again, I have to ask, does that describe you? Are you truly alive in Christ? Do you trust in his grace by faith? Do you live doing good works because Christ has done a good work in you? Does the word Christian, which you wear, imply that you are really alive in Christ? Put simply, do your works, prove your faith in Jesus. I decided kind of last minute, only yesterday, that I really wanted to take communion with you all today. And so uh, as our team leads us in worship, they're going to come forward in a moment during this next song. Our our ushers are going to pass the communion plate. And as you sing, when the plate goes by, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, then I encourage you to grab a cracker and some of the grape juice in the cup and just hold on to it until I come back up here again after the song. In truth, if you want to take this time and spend a moment sitting, confessing your sins, that's a beautiful thing. That is certainly a part of what it means to take communion. But I actually want us to think about this experience as a celebration of the goodness of our God who invites us into fellowship with him. And so that's where I'm going to go when I come back up and we take this together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your completed works in Christ. We know that that in no way excuses us from living righteous, holy lives, from striving with every fiber of our being to be obedient to your word, to honor you and to love you in the way that we live our lives, the way that we love one another's one another. And yet, God, I pray that we would be confident not in our standing before you because of our works, but in our confident that we be confident in our standing before you because 
of the completed work of Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you that for those who conquer, for those who place their faith in Christ and are faithful to the end, that we will be clothed in a white garment like Tom. And we will hear before the throne of God Almighty our names proclaimed as one who is faithful. So, Lord, by your grace and by your power, powerfully at, working, at work within us, through your Holy Spirit, would you carry us to that day, we pray. Amen.